when you use your brain and you listen to Dave Ramsey, it makes you go, wait, what? One of those messages, she saw this comment from Ramsey online, and it said that people that were receiving pandemic stimulus payments were, quote unquote, pretty much screwed already. That was where she drew the line. Wait, what? This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Happy Valentine's. Happy, happy Valentine's. Happy Valentine's Day. You think of these dumb intros all week, don't you? Well, where's this one going? No, you know, I, I don't think about it all week. It might be surprising to you, but this genius comes up right on the spot. <laughs> okay. Happy Valentine's Day to you, Diggles. Yeah. We're both wearing red or red. Well, mine's orange. Yeah. Yeah. Red, red adjacent. Red adjacent colors. I just wanted to wish that for you, man. I want to wish that for you because I talk to you more than I do my significant other. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like it. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. You have a good week? I had a good week. It was not. It was not a shabby week. Good. Good with business. Good with family. It was wonderful. Love it. Do you know who probably did not have a good week? Talk to me. I imagine every week for this person kind of sucks. Are you talking about the Rams? Dave Ramsey, yeah. Oh, Dave Ramsey. Dave. All right, Dave. We got some listener mail on Dave Ramsey. SkippyDoogles at gmail.com. That's how you reach us with the listener mail. We got some listener mail on Dave Ramsey. Thank you, Jonathan, for sending this in. It's a Wall Street Journal piece. Dave Ramsey tells millions what to do with their money. People under 40 say he's wrong. You know what's, what's uh, funny about this podcast, too? People over 40 also say that he's wrong. That's, I'm typically pretty complimentary of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, this is like a BuzzFeed headline. <laughs> Lots of people say Dave Ramsey's wrong. His Inclusive. Own, his own uh, bankruptcy says he's wrong. Like There's, there's plenty of wrong going on here anyone that really jumps on their high horse soapbox and makes declarative statements with no wiggle room is bound to be wrong significantly what the under 40s according to this what the under 40s are saying is that he's not up with the times and i quote what dave ramsey really misses is any kind of social context so i i wonder part of this could be about what he's saying because i it is a thing about what what he's saying with me personally. Part of it all is also just the messenger potentially. I mean, he's in his mid he's a mid sixties white dude, and some of the people that they were quoting in this piece are just like, I don't think he would vibe with them. Like almost no matter what he's saying, but I don't disagree. And what what they're saying is we got times of inflation, we got these high uh, high prices for everything, inclusive of housing. How are you telling me that I should be eating rice and beans? every day in order to afford anything. That's what they're rejecting, is at all costs pay down your debt. They're kind of rejecting that. I mean, there's a, this is bizarre, right? Um, there's a person in this article is 26 named Morgan, and she's working to pay off her student debt, which is $48,000, which is would be recommended by Ramsey. What she did differently that is bucking the trend, according to her popular post, is she took out a loan on a 2016 Honda because she did the math and believes 
that owning a newer car, even if the newer car costs more after the lower maintenance payments, you know, you could buy a thousand dollar beater and put $5,000 in it every year. I don't know if her math is right, but I don't have any issue with her, (laughs) you know, using her brain to make a calculation for what she thinks is going to get her ahead. I, I don't really understand the backlash on her end or potential and Ramsey's end. <laughs> Am I overreacting here? Like it's just, people it's are just allowed some... to use their brain to make smart financial decisions. More power to you. Probably. No, he says, no, you're not. Not if you're going into debt. That's what he says. I know. A couple. I know. I know. I know. A couple other tidbits. This gets, it gets to your point earlier where you were saying that when it's like so stringent, when the rules are so stringent, it, it kind of, it can apply to all situations. So Naomi Israel, who now at the age of 23, she works for a company making a finance curriculum for schools. That's where she works. She says she was all up in that Dave Ramsey. She was listening to his little baby steps or whatever they are. And she was saying, I'm going to follow his advice. He tells me, set aside money for emergencies. I'm going to set aside money for emergencies. She's all about it. But, and I quote, but eventually some of his messages triggered a different response from her. Wait, what? One oh, of those she, messages. She must be using her brain. <laughs> yeah, there you go, which she does not like. Because when you use your brain and you listen to Dave Ramsey, it makes you go, wait, what? One of those messages. She saw this comment from Ramsey online. And it said that people that were receiving pandemic stimulus payments were, quote unquote, pretty much screwed already. That was where she drew the line. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't click through and read the backstory. I don't remember him saying this. But it seems like what he was saying, according to this article, it seems like what he was saying back then was the people that are getting these checks have already messed their lives up. So, like, what's the point? And you're trying to get me fired up here, Dougal. Yeah. Trying to get a Dave Ramsey rant out of me. There's some decent advice coming from him. Decent. There, There's p- bits of it that are decent. But my when I listen to Ramsey, what gets me really fired up is when he immediately recommends savings or investment approach that is bound not to work for 100% of the population. And then he peddles his own products, which are high fee and super scammy through his own financial network, which has a checkered past, mistreats its employees. I could go on, right? Like it gets to used car salesman territory pretty quickly. Um, Relating to this article, I guess I'm happy people are pushing back. Use your brain, people. Like, yeah, we all know having tons of debt is not a path to um, prosperity in this country. So pay off the debt. If you want to use his hack methodology of the baby steps, there's some decent tricks in there. Like the psychological trick where you pay off the lowest balance first, even though the math says you should pay off the one with the highest interest rate. That can work for some people. I'll say one last thing that we can move off of, Dave. I don't want to get you too yeah. fired up. Yeah. The other thing that young adults scratched their heads about when it came to Dave Ramsey was he was telling them to let their credit scores dwindle and die. Well, I mean, the thing is, I guess if you never want to get if you never want to get debt, you never want to get a loan, you never want to get debt for a car, then your credit score doesn't matter. So, but it's a it would shut off some optionality, and optionality is important. Anyway, we don't have to talk more about. Dave Ramsey. No, there's there's absolutely no reason 
why you would want to let me say it a different way there's no harm in having a quality credit score yeah an approach his approach i think he's being pedantic to try and make a larger point that debt is not good and if that larger point is true then your credit score becomes less valuable or maybe worthless because you don't plan on using your credit score to bring on more debt but it's just more complicated than that. Yeah, and it, and it destroys optionality. We were this week. I had a board meeting for this uh, uh, nonprofit charter school network on the board of, and we were talking about the how a, a lot of schools uh, made the SAT not a requirement anymore. Mm-hmm. And so then they were saying, so then there's advice that people are giving to their high school students that's like, well, you don't have to take the SAT anymore. And they went, and we predominantly serve underrepresented uh, students that are in our schools, and they're yeah. like. To to the point of what you were just saying, having a good SAT score doesn't have downside for your college choices. It's it's not, not at really, all. Yeah, so similar, very similar, and especially uh, especially in underserved communities, it might be a great way to prove yeah, exactly. that you're exceptional. Um, exactly, and I I think that I mean Dartmouth already came back and is the first Ivy to start reaccepting the SAT. I think that's going to swing backwards. Yeah, um, but. Yes, you can take the SIT. You can get a not so great scoring. You can choose not to submit that information, first of all. I mean, the optionality that comes with the SIT is a great example there. Who's going to complain about having a high credit score? Gives you more options. That's right. That's right. Okay, can I reach into the fishbowl? Get off Dave's. Thank you again, Jonathan, for, for allowing us to rant about Dave Ramsey. We appreciate that. I'm going to reach into the fishbowl and I'm going to parlay. From what you were just jibber jabbering about when it comes to maybe fees that are excessive, but in a different way. Talk about yields. High yields. You might think I'm talking about high yield savings account. You might think I'm talking about CDs, right? Certificates of the deposits. You might think I'm talking about something that pays high dividends. Nah, 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 my friend. What I'm talking about are option. ETFs. Jason Swag, our boy, Jason Swag, had this piece in the, the Wall Street Journal called a fund with a 94.9% yield. You guessed it. There's a catch. Obviously, there's a catch. But this is what's going on here. There are these ETFs that are single stock ETFs. So an ETF for Tesla, ETF for Vidya, ETF for name your favorite stock that has a lot of volatility. Coinbase, right? Another example. And what these ETFs do is they are covered call funds. So I, just, I shorthand called it option ETFs. Covered call is something where you own the underlying asset. So you own the stock. You'll own some Tesla stock. And your bet is that it's not going to move a lot in the short term. And so therefore, you sell call options. Now, this is a strategy that 99.9999999999% of people should never play with. There's no reason to do that, I would say, for the general investor. But these ETFs do exactly that. And so they have these these yields because what they do is like they'll sell their option contracts and they will then have a quote-unquote return that comes from that. And so they're claiming these huge, huge yields. But it's option 
it's option plan. You're playing with volatile underlying assets and volatile uh, options. And so the the trick that could happen if you have your average investor that takes a look at one of these is they might look at, let's say they look at a high dividend stock. They're looking at Altria Group. They're like, oh, we got a 9% yield here, which is a 9% dividend yield. Then they go and look at one of these. They go, oh, I got a 95% yield. I'm obviously going to buy the 95% yield. That's what they're doing. All right, I'm going to pause, get your reaction, and we'll chat a little bit. I'm trying to think of the easiest way to explain this to your average investor, but basically there's an option contract here that just depending on the price, the previous price of the stock in say the last six weeks could pay out with a massive return, but that would be a very unlikely one-off event. When that payment happens, that's what's, what's happening here with, there will be a momentary period in time where they can claim a 95% yield because of what happened six weeks ago. The future going forward basically has nothing to do with that 95% yield. And it's very unlikely that that 95% yield would present itself again. It, but it's just the way the SEC reporting works here. It's just false gold, man. I mean, that's all it is. I think the larger point here is, and I did this early in my investing career, maybe like, at 21, right? I found what I thought was a juicy stock paying a 20% yield and did not realize that the fundamentals of that stock were quickly eroding. I'm talking day by day. <laughs> <laughs> and that the future payments were not going to be a 20%. You know, this could be a great learning experience for some folks about the type of research you have to do into understanding how those payments take place and making sure that those payments are sustainable. But it seems kind of like a scam. I, I think the reason Jason writes about it, he finds stuff like this that are kind of loopholes in the rules. And I think he works to educate your average investing yeah. population. That's exactly it. And back in the late 80s, there were a number of funds that were also peddling things like this. So the SEC came out with this rule where they said, if you show this yield, this distribution yield as a part of your advertising, you also have to show what they're calling the SEC yield. Yeah. And the SEC yield for these stocks is more in the low single digits, like similar to what you'd see like a treasury bill, uh, but a heck of a lot riskier. I'll give you a few. They have this graphic in the piece where they show the return, year-to-date return of the underlying stock and the year-to-date return of this the option, a driven uh, ETF that's related to that stock. And they're similar if not worse the returns for this and so it, it just it's just demonstrative of why take on more risk in order to make the same if not worse return so an example meta so far 36.7 percent this year the option etf that's based on meta up 15.9 percent netflix you up 21 you said these are covered call options yeah right? yeah 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 I don't want to go too deep in the details, but that's the trade-off you make when you buy covered calls. You are you're taking uh, creating an income stream out of that stock and giving away some yeah. of the outsized top-end performance. Because the bet, to what I said earlier, the bet is that the stock's not going to move very much. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Okay, we don't have to belabor on the complication here. The point to what you were saying, the point is, as Jason Zweig, the reason he writes this is saying, if you see something that has very large double digit yields. I would even say maybe don't even research it and just move on. 
but at a minimum, <laughs> you need to research the thing and figure out actually what's going on. As you were talking about with with stocks that return massive amounts to a lot of times is there's a reason that they are, or not that return massive amounts, sorry, that are massively undervalued. There's a reason that they are beaten down. There's a reason why these yields are as high as they, or they advertise yields are as high as they are. So research it. PSA. That's it. All right. You're fishbowl. How much of the podcast do you want to spend on me being wrong? Should we just take the rest of the episode? and Six hours. <laughs> I've had several rants on the show. One was NVIDIA somewhere in the 400s, right? About how crazy it was. I pulled out my favorite Scott McNally quote from Sun Microsystems, the dot-com bubble about price to sales ratios of 10 and how that's basically an impossible investment to make money. NVIDIA is at 730 right now. And hey, I still think it's going to go down. I'm happy that I'm on the show saying there's no good way for me to take a bet against the the throth like in the 400s, even though I thought it was overvalued then. Here is a couple stats on where NVIDIA sits today. A guy ran a discounted cash flow model. Let me get this guy's name. Well, this is an article in the FT from Dan McCrum. And in order to justify its current price, NVIDIA would have to maintain monopolistic-like operating profit margin of 55% while growing its sales 10x to more than $600 billion. And for context, the entire industry sold $527 billion of chips last year. So all you have to do to maintain your current price is do unheard of operating margins because let me tell you, for the last decade, NVIDIA's operating margins have ranged between 13 and 37%, not the 55% they're getting today. And maintain a monopoly and grow sales by 10 times. What the market's saying, I'm not disagreeing with your points. Yeah. What the market's saying is that all NVIDIA has to do is what it's doing. <laughs> and then the competition is not going to have any. Like, why doesn't TSMC, who makes their chips, <laughs> just say, you know what, NVIDIA, these proprietary designs are ours now. We're, we want to follow some Chinese law rather than some Taiwanese law. And uh, we'll see you later. Here's our competitor. It's called the H. 101 <laughs> here here's the here's the deal here's i like that here's the deal between what i was just talking about with those cover call etfs and nvidia there is a very very simple two word two words that's how simple it is investment thesis for both those etfs and nvidia do you know what it is extrapolate that that's the whole thesis there's no you you always, and I love it, you're always bringing up Howard Marks and his uh, second level thinking, right? This is not that. This is extrapolate that, which is extrapolate that is first level thinking. You go, look, NVIDIA increased, I can't remember the exact number. NVIDIA increased its sales by 3x last year. You talking 10x? Easy. Easy. That's what it is. It's just extrapolate that. This Excel spreadsheet that we calculate NVIDIA is just like a Command C, Command V up in there. That's it. <laughs> it totally is. So speaking of Howard Marks, guess who bought Baba in their 13F? Howard Marks. Oh. You just seen in the last the quarter? Little, just yeah, in the last quarter? seen the little jig I was doing. David Temper bought it too. A bunch of people jumping on. Uh, Michael Burry bought it. Oh, okay. There you go. Up there in the go. Skippy household, we're having some fun with all the 
the sharks jumping on Baba. Really excited about this. But let's continue on the me being wrong or maybe me being right. So you and I had talked off pod uh, two weeks back. And I was like, man, this meta stock I own, bought it in my non-quantitative portfolio. Like I never dreamed it would get to $480 per share. But I was feeling the joy, right? When something goes up that much, it's you, you, this is Dougal's world, right? When you ride one of those high momentum stocks, it like makes you happy inside your soul. <laughs> so I was telling you, I'm not selling this thing. Like I just, I was just along for the ride until I looked at some fundamentals this week and found out that the price to sales ratio was 9.27. And luckily, the only good thing about having an investing podcast is you can go back and listen to your own rants if you have to talk some sense into yourself. <laughs> I uh, unloaded two thirds of my position, which was my largest position because the expectations just got out over their ski, like just insane. It is. There, there's some wild expectations, wild expectations that are in that. And we'll see. We'll see. Did you see Zuckerberg related, but not to what you're talking about, but just related because of Zuckerberg? Did you see his take on the, uh, what's it called? The Vision Pro, Apple's VR device? Did I ever? And then I saw Steve Ballmer's take on the iPhone in 2007. <laughs> that was really good. That was really good. No, his take was interesting, and he makes some solid points. The price point is so different, 7X, that it makes criticism really easy. And so when he feels like his device, the Quest 3, is fairly comparable, and in some cases superior, it makes for a good talking point. I think the video is fascinating. He's become so much more confident. Yeah. Um, it's really a stark difference. You look at the videos, er, like the interviews he was giving two and a half years ago when Metastock is just down, 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 down. Versus now, he's on top of the world and super confident. We shall see. My, my bet is that wearing a hunk of plastic and metal on your face is not going to win, which is what both of them are. <laughs> like neither one of those is going to win. But the the videos that I've seen of reviews and usage of the the Apple device are pretty cool to watch as a baseline for things. They're selling a computer. That's the difference. Like Apple selling a computer, Meta is not selling a computer. Meta is selling a like a, a gaming and consumer use device, whatever, and Apple selling a computer. It's pretty cool to watch this stuff. But again, you, just the the hunk of metal on people's faces walking around the streets, like that's not going to win. Here's where um, what I think Zuckerberg missed is um, you're right. They're selling a computer, which means businesses can buy it, which means the price point. Like yeah. it might not be 7X, but it could be 3 or 4X. And the difference between personal use and business use could justify that cost. But also, Apple is selling a status symbol in a way that I don't think Zuckerberg's thinking about. I mean, people went crazy for the lunatics on the subway wearing those things when they first came out. No one was doing that when a Quest 3. <laughs> You'd just be like, who's that computer nerd in the corner of the subway? <laughs> uh, precisely. Let's continue with one other area. There you where... go. Keep going. Uh, I hesitate to say I was wrong, 
but I decided I don't. better. I don't even know what it is. I don't even know what it is, but I I do not hesitate. You were wrong. Keep going. When I went through and looked at my non-quantitative portfolio and sold two-thirds of my meta, I also sold my Kohl's stock. And I feel like I got to update the listeners because that's been a talking point for maybe three years on the show, Dougal. That's huge. I honestly, I thought you were going to go down with a coal certificate in your hand. Like I thought, I thought this would never, ever happen. Tell me why. Cole's always had more debt than I liked. And the, the rough numbers here were, I got intrigued when Cole's was part of a, potentially part of a acquisition. The acquisition price was gonna be 60 bucks a share. And the reason for that uh, acquisition was basically that Cole's owns all their real estate. And if you do the math, the real estate's worth something like 60 bucks a share. So the acquiring party was like, we don't even really care about the company. There's some synergies there, but we just want the real estate. And that's how we're gonna effectively underwrite this acquisition. Well, that acquisition fell through. The stock went, I started picking the thing up in the 30s. I think 38 was my first purchase long, long ago, like three years ago. Bought the thing all the way down to $19 a share. When I'm looking at things this week, I'm just going, gosh, that debt is just, it's more than I ever wanted. And when it's effectively a real estate play, the worst thing that could happen is the commercial real estate market gets cut by 75%. And so then the real estate is worth 15 bucks a share rather than 60 bucks a share. I just ran through it. And I ran through some of the other places where I think I can put that capital. And so it's currently 27 bucks a share. The great news is, and the reason there was an easy sale for me is because I had bought more and more as it went down, I still make money. So yeah. even though I bought the thing first at 38 bucks a share, because I picked up a lot at 19 bucks a share, I make money. And I'm just at the point where, hey, why deal with the stress of a high debt company that I don't particularly love in the first place? When I can put my capital elsewhere. Hold on. Okay. You absolutely had me. I was like, I get it. And he said that I don't love in the first place. You loved Coles. I, I mean, that's pretty. On I this was week scared. of Valentine's, you cannot start picking <laughs> love around Coles. So, no, no, no. To be clear, I, I never liked the debt. That's true. They, that's they true. have more debt. And the, the, the debt is backed by real estate. I mean, it was like, uh, I loved the buying $60 worth of like, physical value what i felt like in the real estate for 38 bucks i love that yeah but there were other things like the business model got in the way <laughs> <laughs> that darn business model it always does it always does i get your general point because the what's happening with commercial real estate has elongated most likely elongated the time to return if there would be one so the opportunity cost of holding the capital there it makes sense so thank you for updating us all. I really am shocked though. I thought this would, I thought you had diamond hands hodl up in here. Hodl with the diamond hands. Hopefully this is a sign of growth. I mean, yeah, I usually do. <laughs> but I, I like to um, throw this week was, again, for my non-quantitative portfolio. My quantitative portfolio did nothing like I always do. But it was me taking a wet towel and throwing it on my face and just having a sober <laughs> look at some of these investments. A cold wet towel. Forward. Yeah, cold cold but tell. Here I go back into the bowl of fish, my friends. This okay. I'm gonna talk about. I'm I'm gonna talk about 
Airbnb arbitrage, which that's like not what this is even, but that's what it's masquerading as. The start of this, and then I'll go into the story, but I just want to read you the start of this because when you hear these words, people, there's a lot of PSA in this episode. When you hear these words, just run. Like, do not walk. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just, just run. Here we go. So this arbitrage investment opportunity was described as follows. It was described as a minimal to no risk path to extra income with a guaranteed return in three to six months of investment, then pure profit after. When like you tell me that you're telling me those billboards on the side of the road that said like <laughs> call for a hundred K a year, no risk. Those yeah. aren't legit. run, drive away, drive away from this. Yeah. So now I'm going to get, I'm going to give you the background because it's, it, this is, this is worth, this is worth uh, hearing about. There's this guy that always has something going on that is uh, shady at best. I'm going to call him Ageman. I think this is his last name. I, that's his name, but I just don't know how to pronounce it. So Ageman or Man. I don't know. But anyway, so what he was saying was he, he created this business called Hands-Free Automation, HFA for short. And what he claimed was it has a five-year exclusivity contract with a lot of property owners. And they also had this deal going on with Airbnb. So all you had to do to get involved was a payment of between twenty dollars and $30,000. And you could effectively own a part of all these Airbnb listings. What this hands-free automation software did, allegedly did, was it would book properties on other websites and then list them on Airbnb and mark them up. That's the arbitrage. The arbitrage is you buy over here, you sell it for more over here. Okay, that's the setup. Where it starts to go wrong, it starts to go wrong in every direction, just to be clear. But one, one example I'll give you, there's this guy, last name Carr, his mother passed away, COVID 2020, he inherited a little bit of money, he used that to pay off some debt, Dave Ramsey, he bought himself a little car, and then decided to make some wise investments. One of those wise investments was crypto. The other wise investment was HFA. So this man did not make any wise investments, according to what I'm reading about in this article, just to be clear. I was just being, and I don't want to be snarky about him because he lost his mother. It's very sad. But here's what he did. Like, this is the ultimate. Dave Ramsey would hate all everything about this. What he did was he sent HFA. So remember, 20K was the bottom end. He sent HFA $1,000 in whole cold hard cash from his crypto debit card. That's where it all starts. So one twentieth of it, one twentieth of it, came from his crypto debit card, and then he borrowed the other nineteen thousand dollars to invest with HFA. He had a great credit score, clearly. Dave Ramsey's crowd. <laughs> I'm going to give you one guess, and I think you're going to nail it as to what his return was. Going to go zero. No, wrong. Negative one hundred percent. I know that's what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so it's messed up. So there are like examples of of people that are falling into that fell into this trap, right? It's just it is a scam. And the, well, allegedly, it sounds a lot like a scam. But these people what they what they would do is when people complain to them and say this investment did not work out the way you said, they go, "Oh, oh man, sometimes investments don't work out even though we told you it was guaranteed. Sometimes investments don't work out. Invest in one of our other businesses." 
So they have a an Amazon and Spotify automation business. They have a trucking business and they have a line of vegan gummies. These, these are other in, investment opportunities that, that you could have with us. He also runs a YouTube channel that's focused in part on swapping tips for running a successful business. When I read things like this, I'm just like, BTI, people, like it's just, or treasury bills, just like something, anything that's, that's not HFA, hands-free automation, minimal to no risk, path to extra income with a guaranteed return in three to six months of investment than pure profit after. Anything other, actually not anything. Also, don't go to those option ETFs I, I talked about earlier. But nearly not, any, not anything. There's tons of bad stuff. Yeah, there. yeah, there's lots of bad stuff. Oh, yeah. So personal finance at its core is spend less than you make and buy assets. These scams are not assets, despite what the crypto crowd would tell you. I mean, we've all had fun with crypto, but come on, it's not the same as owning a share of a company. There's a lot of bad stuff out there, Dougals. Yeah. Just keep it simple. That's it to what you were saying. Keep it simple. That's all you need. You don't need yeah. these guaranteed returns. Just, well, quote unquote, guaranteed returns. Just keep it simple. That's it. What else you got? Oh, uh, one last thing in my fishbowl. We won't talk about it in detail, but Derek Thompson in the Atlantic wrote a piece on why Americans suddenly stopped hanging out. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, this is all over the place. The data around like what your teenager today does versus what your average teenager did for the past hundred years is just starkly different. Uh, there seems to be a change in about 2012. Shockingly, that's when smartphones and social media really took off. Suicide rates are up. It's incredibly depressing. I don't really want to go step by step through this, but I think I'd say if you're considering getting getting together with friends and feeling like maybe they don't want to hang out, odds are they probably really, really do. Uh, <laughs> I think everyone is craving social interaction right now. And the way Derek Thompson, Derek Thompson's phrasing this is that there's a crisis in social social fitness. And he means that like physical fitness, but with social relationships. And so maybe that's a good excuse to get together with friends this next week or every week for the next several months or something. Figure that out, folks. Yeah. Everyone's Force better it. off with it. Humans were made to be social creatures. So get after it. The the opening couple of paragraphs of this are so interesting. I mean, he talks about this perception and I don't know if this is true or not, but I assume it is as, when America is forming as a country, the desire to go build community squares and churches and whatever, like people were just out of their house helping each other all the time. Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen anymore, man. I know neighbors that like appear to never leave the in the confines <laughs> of their home it's craziness we're certainly not building churches together man it's a different world social is important social is important however i actually wasn't going to bring this up but now the word social popped in my mind what that made me think about was an etf a different etf that we talked about i think it was two years ago at this point with the ticker of b-u-z-z buzz if you all recall, if you've been listening for a while, you might remember us discussing this ETF that was based on social media sentiment. It was like, what are people talking about? I believe the episode 
was titled something like who is talking about Ford motor company. It was like something like that was the, the title of the episode. Dave Portnoy was the face of this, at least in some of the marketing campaigns about getting into buzz. the SEC is not happy right now because apparently they weren't told that the Finfluencer, this is the first time I think I've seen that, that word, the Finfluencer, Dave Portnoy, was going to be marketing it. So Van Eck, who ran the ETF, is getting into trouble. Anyway, you just made me think about that. So buzz. I haven't thought about that ETF in a couple of years. I honestly think that's like episode eight. And we're on episode might be. 170 or something. But so it was like three years ago. What he did, if I remember correctly, is even worse. And I'm happy they find him because he made this video. I think it was like 90 seconds long about how oh, great yes. the ticker was. Forgot yeah. about that. But then every time he mentioned, like he wouldn't be allowed to mention like Buzz the ETF. So it was like beeped out. And then somehow there was like a way to put the breadcrumbs together. It was something along these lines of like, yeah. in your face, I'm, this is totally a promo that I know is not approved by the SEC, but here you go. Cause it, I, the, I'm a comedian. Yeah, personality I, 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 re, I remember something like that. I think that he couldn't say ETF. I think it's what that's it was. That's probably it. Yeah. 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 I think but, that's what so it was. So he could say like new investment type buzz and then ETF would be beeped out or something. Anyway. Good work all around. Hope people never bought this garbage and uh, send the fines out. It'd be all awesome right. if the SEC did more real-time enforcement to just like shut some of this garbage down, um, like the scams we just talked about, but whatever. No, it's it's always the let's wait until the people make all the money and then let's find them like less than 1% of the money they made. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's so, generally the way that this, <laughs> this works, which is a fine fee for service for, for all of these folks. Man, did you were you did you see the the Lyft earnings debacle as it was going down? I mean, I don't really care. I like <laughs> saw the buzz, yeah, the buzz, uh, the buzz. <laughs> That'll like, be interesting. What? I'm sure there's gonna be lawsuits or something. It corrected pretty soon. Like I, I don't know it, because they they corrected it in the earnings call. It was just it was in the press release. A zero is a big deal though. <laughs> like an extra zero, it's a it's a big deal very very true yeah i want to be like let's just see what it does let's just put it out and just like see if we had made an extra zero what would people think about it it's actually <laughs> it's a good way to it's a good way to like to test that and then you just correct it quickly that's yeah that's pretty like so guys uh, if our margins are x i think we're gonna trade at this multiple like yeah exactly yeah like how so i mean Kess nelson the vitality uh, yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. He's been pushing Uber for like three years and it looks like he was right. I hope he's unloading it now because it's expensive. But I remember working through an investor presentation in, in like 2020 with Uber saying they were going to be profitable in 2023 and being like, I kind of see it, but I'm not sure, guys. You know, like I wasn't ready to bet yeah. on it. They did exactly what they said they were going <laughs> to do. But what's amazing is Lyft has always been the second tier player in the space. Yep. Yep. And for the longest time, I was like, Lyft should just die. And then um, Uber did something during the pandemic where they they were like horribly mistreating their drivers and their rates were way more expensive. And I was like, oh, I get it. There has to be at least two players in the space. So I was bullish on Lyft in the sense of like, it can't go away because then we're going to be back hailing taxi cabs or whatever. Like that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
competition if is necessary. Lyft could make money, man. They, their market cap is nothing because yeah. they lose money hand over fist. Like I want them to actually make money, and then I would consider buying them at bargain basement prices. But I don't know if they actually can. I don't know if they're ever going to make money. It's it's going to be tough. It's going to be so tough with the way that they run their their businesses today. Like both of the, well, they have different businesses actually. Lyft and Uber have different businesses. They're the core of both their businesses is the same, but they have different businesses. But I, I think it's going to be super, super duper tough for them. It's a high volume business that just requires a lot to run. At the same point, if there's a demand for the service, you just price it. So you make like, like there's a reason I'm not the CFO of Lyft because yeah. I would be like, no, we are making money. We are in business to make money. And this is what it costs to make money. This is what we have to pay our drivers. This is what we have to pay our tax stack. This is what our salaries are. Like, no, I, you're right. I'm, I would, let me correct myself and say to have a sustainable business that would make money. I, they could, they could definitely make the business like profitable in some short period of time, but the, the, what they would have to price will not stick. I hate, I hate to break it to you, but I'd rather have a profitable business that's not sustainable than a sustainable business that consistently loses more money every year into infinity. Well, ne- neither worse. one is neither one sustainable. <laughs> like, but that's, I, that's the I kill the business. If if the business can never make money, the business <laughs> yeah, has yeah, yeah. never make money to my knowledge. Yeah. And if there's no path to making money, then I don't want to be on the yeah. executive team of that business. Like you're I just not, don't. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> oh man it's uh but i i wish they could because it's dirt cheap right now yeah 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 all right we got a wrap that's a wrap that's a wrap thank you everybody appreciate it please rate and review skippy at gmail.com is where you can get our listener mail skippy has all the goodness you got our sub stack uh, you got a way to become a premium member all that stuff so go on there appreciate you all talk to you soon thanks Buzz.